What is truth? Don't a lot of people today believe that truth is something people decide for themselves? How can Christians try to tell people Christianity is true if everyone decides for themselves what is true? My name is Kyle Kelts, and in this episode, we are going to answer these questions and give you a technique for showing people that objective truth is undeniable. In this episode, I'm going to discuss three theories of truth and critique theories of truth that Christians should deny. So stick around and find out how to handle the truth. Welcome back, everyone. In this lecture, we are going to be talking about the objectivity of truth and how uh, the how truth exists. It is objective, and it's actually self-defeating to argue otherwise. Um, it, uh, if you are following along with the Bible passages, our Bible passages for this in the last lecture were Titus 1, uh, or excuse me, the, the Bible passage for this lecture is uh, Titus 1, verses 10 through 11. If you want to hear me explain a little bit more about this passage, you can go to the last lecture on apologetic method. Um, but yeah, here's the questions for reflection for this lecture. If you're watching this on YouTube, you can uh, uh, answer these in the comment section if you'd like. Or you, if you're listening to this, you can send me an email at my academic website. Or just keep these questions in mind while we go through the lecture uh, so you can uh, be thinking about what's important. So our first question is, do you think most people think truth is objective or subjective? Do you th- our second question is, do you think people in our culture hold contradictory beliefs about truth? Third question is, do you think the correspondence theory of truth is obviously the best theory? Why or why not? We'll be talking about different theories of truth in this lecture. And four, is a subjective view of truth livable? Okay. And yeah, in this lecture, I'm mainly going to be just talking about these three uh, theories of truth. Correspondence theory, the coherence theory, the pragmatic theory. And what I wanted to do is talk about what the correspondence theory of truth is and why it's so important to Christianity. And then I want to define coherence theory and pragmatic theory, and then I'm going to critique those and just give you some uh, reasons to, to, to believe why these are bad theories of truth, basically. And at the end, I'm going to, I'm going to finish it all off by um, just giving you a, a way of defending objective truth. It's really easy. Um, in fact, once you learn it, you'll, 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 uh, hopefully you'll never forget it, and, and you'll be able to see bad um, bad statements about truth, bad statements about reality when you see it. I was also going to close a little. I was going to close it out talking just a little bit about skepticism, um, but yeah, we're mainly going to be talking about theories of truth here. Okay, so let's get started with this. So uh, this definition of the correspondence theory of truth is from our um, is from that text uh, by Dr. Doug Groteis uh, called Christian Apologetics. And he defines the correspondence theory of truth um, as, the, as saying that a belief or statement is true 
only if it matches with, reflects, or corresponds to the reality it refers to. Okay, So the correspondence theory of truth says a belief or statement is true only if it matches with, reflects, or corresponds to the reality it refers to. Um, I personally, I like to just say it this way. I think it's the easiest. Truth is that which corresponds to reality. Okay, that's what correspondence theory is. Um, correspondence theory of truth actually goes way back in Western philosophy. Um, this theory of truth was actually argued for by Plato and Aristotle uh, back in the, the uh, uh, 300s BC. And they were actually very successful at arguing for this. And it's, I don't think it's just because they were good at making arguments. It's just because that's how reality is. But anyways, so the correspondence theory of truth just says, and maybe you already have this common sense view of truth in your mind, but the correspondence theory of truth says that truth is that which corresponds with reality. So for example, if I say it is raining outside, my statement um, is going to be true if it actually is raining outside, right? Um, reality is the basis for the truth of my statements. If what I say corresponds with reality, my statement is true. If what I say does not correspond with reality, uh, my statement is false, okay? So this entails what we call an objective view of truth. If you are new to the objective-subjective distinction, I know I've mentioned, I've said subjective, I've said objective before, so I hope I wasn't confusing you. Um, object, an objective statement is a statement that is about facts, let's say. Uh, it's a statement about reality, and it doesn't matter what your opinion is. It is either just true or it's false, right? A subjective statement is uh, more of a, a statement about opinion or taste, okay? Um and and it really does matter who you are, to, and that's gonna that's gonna determine whether that statement is true or not. Um, a, a great way I remember whenever I was first learning about this distinction, subjective, objective, they both sounded so similar. It was hard for me to remember them. Uh, but what what eventually helped me remember was that an objective statement is true based on the object of the statement, right? Um, so if I say uh, it is raining outside, that's true based on whether or not it actually is raining outside. A subjective statement is true based on the subjects making the statement. So if I say that um, Chinese food is the best, right? That's a subjective statement, and I'm actually making more statement about myself than I am about Chinese food. Uh, because taste in food is a subjective thing, and it depends on the person, um, when I say Chinese food is the best, I'm making more of a statement about my preference for Chinese food than I am about what Chinese food is, right? Because I would be pretty, um, uh, it would be, uh, <laughs> it would be kind of a radical thing to say that Chinese food is the best. And if you don't believe that, then you're just wrong, right? <laughs> because we all know people have different tastes in food and I, I might like Chinese food. Someone else might like Mexican food or or whatever. So, um, so yeah, just remember that an objective truth is more like something like mathematics. It doesn't matter what your opinion is. And the, the truth of the statement is based off of the object of the statement. The uh, subjective statement is going to be something that, uh, the truth of it is based off of the subject making the statement. But anyways, 
I, I, I talked about objectivity and subjectivity so that you know what we're saying is correspondence theory of truth deals with objective truth. Um, it doesn't rule out subjective truths, um, but what a, the correspondence theory is saying is that truth is, is based, it's grounded in reality, right? And this is the uh, view of truth that every Christian should hold, uh, especially if you're doing evangelism, right? So um, if someone has a subjective view of truth and I walk up to him or her and I tell them that Jesus rose from the dead and, and he, can, uh, he offers forgiveness of sins, they might say, well, that's true for you, but I don't think it's true. I mean, for me, I, don't, I just don't, I'm not worried about that. And, and, and you, can, you can say that's true and that's fine, but I don't, I don't believe in that and I'm just going to live my life the way I want to. Um, you know, just like it's okay for you to like Mexican food more than I uh, do and I like Chinese food the best and it's okay because that's just our preferences. If all of truth is subjective, then that's what Christianity is going to become. It's just going to be a matter of taste. Oh, that's true for you, but not for me, right? But if if truth is objective, and it doesn't matter what your opinion is, and Jesus really did rise from the dead, and he really is going to come back and judge people based on, on their deeds and on whether they accepted his forgiveness or not, and it doesn't matter what your opinion is, what, what you think the world is like, then uh, now Christianity has uh, is a lot more important, right? Uh, but yeah, it, you have to um, you have to show someone that truth is objective to get them, you know, to to start thinking that maybe the truth of Christianity actually matters. Uh, but anyways, yeah, this is what course the correspondence theory is saying. Okay, our next theory is the coherence theory. And before I get into coherence and pragmatic theories, I did want to say a, a few things about um, theories of truth and philosophy. So, um, you know, because a lot of coherence theory, pragmatic theory, a lot of these subjective theories of truth are, are based in something we, we call postmodernism. And if you're familiar with uh, the history of Western philosophy, uh, you know, there's a classical period that's the classic, that's usually the, the Greeks. Uh, then there's a medieval period, uh, and that's a lot of times, you know, well, there's a, a ton of philosophers in Western philosophy in uh, the medieval period, some of them Arabic, uh, but it's, you know, it's mainly uh, European Christians um, in Western philosophy in the medieval period. Um, now, but then there's a, what they call the modern turn, and that's when philosophy uh, turns into a more modern version and um, this is uh, late 1500s, uh, 16, but it's mainly 1600 AD to 1900 AD. It was dominated by modern thought, okay? And modern philosophy, if you have ever heard of this, uh, surely you've heard of Rene Descartes. Um, if you've ever heard of I Think Therefore I Am, that's Rene Descartes, a French philosopher. He's oftentimes called the uh, the the father of modern philosophy. But his, uh, his main goal, a, a big project of his, was to build a whole system of knowledge that had an undoubtable foundation. And this, a lot of modern thought is guided by this idea that we can have absolute undoubtable knowledge, 
and, and be certain of our beliefs. Uh, and, well, this is what's happening in modern philosophy, but after a few hundred years or so, some philosophers started to started to sit back and say, you know what, um, we all bought into this modern idea of certain knowledge, but we still are all having the same debates. So uh, a lot of philosophers, well, not, I'm not too many, but... The, um, but this is why it's called postmodern because it was a knee-jerk reaction to uh, modern, the modern project in, in Western philosophy, right? And and some philosophers started thinking that maybe absolute knowledge and things like that were um, unattainable, so they started arguing for subjective truth, subjective knowledge, and they started arguing that everything is subjective, and we just kind of build our own worldviews, we build our own truth. And that's just how it is. Okay, so that's that's where you get some of these. Um, if you if you think that coherence theory of truth is bizarre or pragmatic theory of truth is bizarre, that's kind of where some of these came from. Okay, but yeah, the coherence theory of truth says that w- what makes a statement or belief true is its coherence or consistency with other beliefs. Okay, that's how Grotius defends it. Another way to say it is. Truth is that which coheres to all other known truths. Okay, so um, you know in, in coherent correspondence theory, if I say it's raining outside, then you just look outside. If it's raining, uh, then my statement is true. If it's not, my statement is not. In coherence, so reality is the basis of truth. In coherence theory, it 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 really is more subjective because we're saying in coherence theory that truth is that which coheres with all other known truths. Okay, so. Um, this just inherently has to be something that's happening inside your head or collectively as a culture, okay? So it becomes more subjective because what I, all my known truths might be different from someone else's all, all their known truths. And someone might propose a proposition to me that does contradict my beliefs, but it might not contradict someone else's. So, um, so it really does become, uh, truth becomes subjective upon this view, if that makes sense. Um, because the grounding or basis of truth is all known truths in someone's mind, and different people are going to, ha- and different people in different cultures are going to have different uh, known truths. Okay, and then you've got the pragmatic theory of truth. Uh, pragmatic theory of truth says that a belief is true only if it produces desirable or beneficial effects in the long run. Um, now, whenever I hear pragmatic theory of truth, it reminds me of uh, a philosophy called pragmatism. If you've ever heard of it, uh, some major philosophers uh, that were pragmatists are Charles Pierce, John Dewey, William James, and some others. Uh, it, it was big around the end of the 1800s, mid-1900s. But the pragmatists, um, they weren't into metaphysics, you know. Uh, medieval philosophers in Western philosophy, uh, modern even modern philosophers were big into metaphysics. You know, Descartes argued for had a lot of arguments that said that human beings have a soul. Um, medievals obviously got in way big into metaphysics. The medievals started with metaphysics. Um, modern philosophers start with epistemology. But, anyways, uh, metaphysics is a is a branch of philosophy where you're philosophizing, you're thinking about what is most real in the world, and that's where you get all these debates like, are there uh, are abstract objects real in some sense? Like, do they exist outside of my mind? Um, you know, does God exist? Do angels exist? Uh, 
what are properties, what is essential to something, what is accidental. It's all these extra physical um, concepts about reality, okay? Well, the pragmatists weren't into that. They are very scientifically minded. They thought a lot of uh, Descartes, you know, this is after modern philosophy, so Descartes was in the modern uh, arguments, debates were, were really big. And they thought a lot of that stuff, like whether or not a human person had a physical body and immaterial soul just really didn't matter at the end of the day. Um, so, so that's one reason why they rejected uh, modern thought. Um, but they were also very, like I said, they're also very scientifically minded. And science deals with inductive reasoning. You know, you make all these um, observations about the world and then you... Um, and then you make conclusions based off of that. But your conclusions are usually just a matter of probability. You never really have certain knowledge of, of almost anything. Uh, so so this is where they're coming from. Uh, and what they kind of... But anyways, the pragmatic theory of truth, kind of in line with things like that, is saying that truth is just that which is useful. Okay, uh, If something is useful or practical, then it's true. If it's not useful or practical, then it's either false or just who cares, right? Um, you know, and and that and you can kind of see if someone's really scientifically minded, you know, you you say how many angels exist in the world? Well, they don't care. They, they they've never seen an angel. They don't think they exist in the first place. But either way, they don't think that we can see them, and that people try to attribute all these things in reality to their their activity. But there's no evidence for that, so they just say that's just not practical. It's not useful, so it's false. Or it just doesn't matter to me. Um, now, having said that, this is a this is an interesting theory because I, there's a little bit of objectivity to it. There's a little bit of subjectivity to it, right? If you just go off the fact that the grounding of truth in pragmatic theory is that what someone finds useful is true, that's the basis for truth. Then it really can step off into the subjective domain, right? Because what one because what one person finds useful, another person might not find useful, or what one culture finds useful, another culture might not find useful. So there is a little bit of subjectivity in here. There's also a little bit of objectivity. So like, I just either will or won't find some uh, uh, some statement useful, um, even though that depends on me as an individual. Like. There is a little bit of reality going on in whether or not I'm going to find it useful. So it's an interesting, um, it's definitely an interesting theory. And, uh, you know, I would say the pragmatists, they were into objectivity. They weren't uh, full-blown postmoderns that didn't think that we could have any truth or knowledge at all. Because they were scientifically minded, obviously, they're going to be into objective truth. But anyways, um, that's what the pragmatic theory is. Now, um Having defined uh, correspondence theory, coherence theory, and pragmatic theory, now I want to go ahead and critique these, right? As Christians, we don't want to be coherence theorists. We don't want to be pragmatic theorists because these entail that uh, truth is going to be subjective. And like I said, <clears throat> if truth is subjective, then the gospel won't necessarily matter to everybody. Okay, now... Um, I, I, if I remember right, I think I get these these critiques mainly from Grotius and Christian uh, apologetics. Um, so there's two major problems with coherence theory. Let's let's start with coherence theory. Um, one major problem is that 
two systems of thought can cohere internally but contradict each other. There's, there's two main points with this and that I really enjoy. Okay, so if, you, if, you're seeing, if you're looking at my slide, there's a woman thinking about Harry Potter. There's a man thinking about Star Wars. Uh, these are, this is kind of extreme examples, but it, it really helps me explain what I'm getting at here. What we're saying is that two systems of thought can cohere internally inside someone's mind, but they can end up contradicting each other. So let's say that this woman b literally believes that we live in a world uh, where there's non-magical people and there's magical people, but the magical people are often there, you know, they've got all their enchantments so that we can't see them. We go about our daily lives in our modern world thinking this is all there is, but there's really this uh, there's this magical culture that lives alongside our non-magical culture, but they're concealed from us so we can't see them. Uh, and let's and we've got our, our man thinking about Star Wars. Let's say that he literally believes that we live in the Star Wars universe. Uh, and the Star Wars movies really do depict events that happened in a galaxy uh, very far away and a long, long time ago, right? So we still live in that universe, but we just weren't around for that, and it was really far away anyways. Now, you know, they can both go about their life thinking that this is what reality is, but, um, and, and coherence theory is saying that's that's fine, it's okay for her to believe that there's magical people because that doesn't contradict anything that she believes. And it's okay for him to believe that we're in the Star Wars universe. But obviously, these two systems of thought can't both be true at the same time, can they? We both can't be living in the, the uh, Harry Potter and the Star Wars universe at the same time. Uh, so, I mean, I don't know. Some people might not find this contradictory, but I just find it to be an obvious problem with coherence theory and, and 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 what we emphasize is that you can build a system of thought that's not internally incoherent but that might not have anything to do with reality uh, just like how I can believe that there's magical people living everywhere when there's really not but it doesn't cohere with the it doesn't uh, uh, contradict any of my known truths right so that's one major problem with uh, coherence theory Another one, which is one of my favorites that uh, Doug Grotheis points out, is that coherence theory and correspondence theory can both be true at the same time, <laughs> right? If I'm a coherence theorist and I, uh, someone tells me about coherence theory, the pro uh, correspondence theory, the problem is if that doesn't contradict my other known beliefs, then they can both be true at the same time, uh, right? So, and this is problematic because usually if you think, if you have three choices and you say one is the best, that usually entails that the other two are false. But if coherence theory, if coherence theory is true, that makes it so that it's okay for pragmatic, uh, excuse me, well, actually either one, it would still make it okay for correspondence and pragmatic theory to be true. If I find, you know, if I find everything useful or, and, it, and it coheres and like, uh, it, it just seems to be a bizarre thing that coherence theory entails. So it, it just seems to be obviously, um, missing the mark. Now at the end of this, I'm going to give you reasons. Uh, I'm going to show you that it's actually, uh, self-defeating to deny that the correspondence theory of truth, uh, is false or excuse me. It's, it's uh, self-defeating to believe that the correspondence theory 
of truth um, is not true. Um, but for so so I'll, that'll basically be another critique of both coherence and pragmatic theory. But just for now, those are specific um, specific uh, uh, critiques of coherence theory. But yeah, let's move on to critiques of pragmatic theory. I think pragmatic theory has even worse problems. And here's four things that um, Grotheis points out with problems with pragmatic theory. One of my favorite things he points out is that it's usually difficult, if not impossible, to predict the usefulness of any given statement. Remember that pragmatic theory says that a statement is true if it's useful. But um, take this statement, for example. It... uh, the Twin Towers fell on September 11th, 2001. If you're reading this in a history book, how are you supposed to determine whether it's useful or pragmatic for you to believe that the Twin Towers fell in 2001? Uh, I would say that it's, uh, you know, I, I would love to see how someone... I think you'd be very smart um, if you could, you'd basically need to know the future. I mean, uh, you know, for, for a lot of people, why does it matter whether the Twin, twin Towers fell in 2001? Maybe maybe you guys can think up some things and put them in the comment section. But uh, this and many other things that we run across in our everyday lives, it's just, how are we supposed to know whether that's going to be useful or not? And uh, it's a pretty, I think it's a pretty big hurdle to being a pragmatic theorist. Um, a second thing uh, that is wrong with coherence theory, or a second problem, is that uh, Grotheis points out that it is redundant to add the words, it is beneficial to believe to any fact. Well, so, excuse me, he, he's emphasizing that according to pragmatic theory, it would, re, it would be redundant to say, to add, it is beneficial to believe to any uh, fact, right? Because uh, pragmatic theory is saying that something that is true is something that is useful. So it would actually be redundant for me to say, it is beneficial to believe that the Twin Towers fell in 2001, when all I have to say is it's true, or just imply that it's true and say the Twin Towers fell in 2001, right? So uh, according to pragmatic theory, the statement, the Twin Towers fell in 2001, is equivalent to the statement, it is beneficial to believe the Twin Towers fell in 2001. But the problem with this is that it, while pragmatic theory entails that that is a redundancy, it seems like when you put those two statements next to each other, they're, they're, they're not the same statement. Does that make sense? Like, it is beneficial to believe the Twin Towers fell in 2001 is saying one thing, and the Twin Towers fell in 2001 is saying another one seems to be making a statement about reality. Another one seems to be making a statement about yourself and whether you find that useful. Uh, and because those two statements seem to be about two different things, pragmatic theory seems to be false. Okay. Um, I think probably the worst problem, uh, well, all of these are, are pretty good. This is probably one of the worst problems, though, is that imagine, <laughs> so... I mean, you know, when you look at this, the definition of pragmatic theory, that which is useful is true. That which works is true. But if you're looking more foundational and trying to say, okay, well, I mean, you know, words have meaning. How do we agree on what works or, or useful means? Like, okay, well, the definite, you know, 
when you're trying to figure out what the definition of works or the definition of useful means, you're going to be making statements of fact. But how are you going to even find if that's useful or, 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 or if that works in the first place if you don't even know what works and useful means? Uh, but um, I, th- I, don't, I don't think Grotius necessarily makes that statement. Uh, here he just says that because works and useful are, are, are subjective to people and subjective to cultures, um, a lot of philosophers have, um, have rejected this view because, uh, you know, um, I know in our culture, in, in the United States and in Western culture in general, there is a lot of subjectivity and there is a lot of postmodern thought. Uh, but you might be surprised when you get into professional philosophy, a lot of, um, I think ma- the majority of, of, uh, of philosophers do believe in objective truth and they do believe in objective morality even. So, um, so a lot of philosophers reject pragmatic theory because the very fact that it is subjective. But yeah, th- this this point always reminds me, like, how would you even agree on what works and va- and useful mean in the first place, if if you are <laughs> if you if everything's determined on whether it's useful or works for you? Uh, but anyways, uh, another really uh, absurd thing that that's entailed with pragmatic theory is that. False beliefs can be useful, right? Um, I can believe that um, that if I lie, I'll get struck by lightning. If I lie or steal, I'm going to get struck by lightning. So, so that would lead me to always tell the truth and and never steal. So I don't go to jail, and people like me, uh, you know, right? But, but if I tell a lie or if I do steal something, I'm not going to get struck by lightning, and it's obviously false. Uh, but that that statement could still help me, but it's going to be false. But pragmatic theory says it's true, right? And and you know if you see my if you're watching this video, I've got that uh, a, cl- uh, a little picture from from the movie The Village. Uh, if you're familiar with that movie, the the parents were telling the kids that there were monsters in the woods, uh, and it was really just. Um, I hope I don't spoil it for you, but it was just the parents dressing up as monsters. But in the movie, they really believed that there were monsters out in the woods, and that that was there that was there to protect them, right? And and if I believe that monsters lived in all the woods in the world, and it and it made it so that I never went into the woods and I never got hurt, you know, got bit by an insect or or fell or hurt myself or or got you know mauled by an animal or whatever, that would be a useful belief for me. But it would be obviously false. So because uh, false beliefs can be useful. Uh, this is a big problem for pragmatic theory of truth because some things we, we know are obviously false, uh, but they can still be useful to us. But according to pragmatic theory, that means they're true. So they're both true and false at the same time. And, and that uh, is, is a bad uh, theory to have then. Now, uh, having said all that, uh, you don't even have to go into that. I mean, those, those are great reasons to not be a pragmatic or correspondence theorist. But at the end of the day, the problem is that if you deny the truth of the correspondence theory of truth, you're actually assuming the truth of the correspondence theory of truth. Okay, and and uh, the way I explain this to people, so what we're saying is the correspondence theory of truth is undeniable. You can't say it's true without assuming it's true, right? I can't. Uh, so, for example, let's say that someone says the coherence theory of truth is true. Okay. Right, and if you say that that's true, and you're choosing from these three uh, theories, then you that usually entails that you're going to be saying the others are false. 
But if someone is saying the coherence theory of truth is true, right? The problem is coherence theory of truth says that what is true is that which coheres with all my known truths. But if there, if this person is telling you that the coherence theory of truth is, is true, then he or she is actually making an objective statement about reality, saying that the these other st- in reality these other these other theories of truth are false and coherence theory is true. But that's not something that that person could be making if they are a coherence theorist, right? Because um, they don't know all the truths in your head. But do you get what I'm saying here? If someone says the the coherence theory is true and correspondence theory is false, they're making an objective statement about reality. So either they are, um, either they're just straight up contradicting themselves because they're saying it's objectively true that all truth is subjective, or they're just making a statement of opinion. Right? If I say coherence theory is true. Um, since coherence theory entails that all truth is subjective, I'm just basically giving my opinion. It would actually still be okay for you to think that correspondence theory is true uh, if truth is subjective. And that's one of the things we pointed out was wrong with it, right? But but like I'm saying, if someone says uh, pragmatic theory is true, if they say course, uh, coherence theory is true, they're making objective truth, uh, objective statements of truth, and therefore they are implying that the correspondence theory of truth is true. So they're either, um, like I said, they're either uh, um, um, contradicting themselves or they're just simply providing their opinion. Uh, One thing you never want to let someone get away with, and I haven't, honestly, I've never ran into someone who believed this, but uh, if someone were to tell you there is no such thing as truth, then that, that that is definitely something that's so obviously false right? Because if someone says there's no such thing as true, what are they implying? They're implying that it's true, that there's no such thing as truth. So they're, they're definitely contradicting themselves. It would be like saying, everything I tell you is a lie. You know, if, if what I'm saying is true, then what I'm saying is false. So uh, it's just contradictory. It's just nonsense, right? So, you, so what I just, I want to drive home this point. You can't deny the correspondence theory of truth without assuming it's the truth of the correspondence theory of truth. So it's actually, it's contradictory to even believe that these other theories of truth, coherence or, or pragmatic theory, are true for everybody at all times, okay? So that's one of the biggest uh, ways that you can show people that truth just is objective. Um, you know, uh, you can also bring up other things. Like if you think truth is subjective, then what's one plus one? They say it's two. And you can say, well, I think it's three. So, you know, that you can believe that I'll believe what I believe. And, and, and we can go from there. You know, thinking that truth is subjective is just absurd. And I'm not saying that you, you know, obviously there's, there are things that are inherently subjective, like taste and food. That's fine. I'm just saying that uh, statements about reality, like whether God exists or Jesus rose from the dead, those are those are statements of ob, uh, those are objective statements. They're either true or they're false, and it doesn't matter what your opinion is. It's based on the evidence. It's based on reality. Okay, um, I did want to say just a couple of words about uh, skepticism. Um, you know, if you take a philosophy class, you'll learn a lot more about it. Skepticism in philosophy is the statement that you can't have knowledge, okay? In in our culture, I think if someone says they're a skeptic, they they usually mean that they're just um, 
they want to see evidence before they're going to believe something. And so they don't, uh, especially supernatural statements, statements about the supernatural, they're going to assume it's false until they can see evidence. Then they'll, only then they'll think it's true. That's what they usually mean. But in philosophy, skepticism is a claim that you can't have knowledge, okay? And in philosophy, knowledge is usually defined as justified true belief. So if I believe that it is raining outside, if it is in fact raining outside, and I'm justified in believing it's raining outside, then I have knowledge that it is raining outside, right? Well, anyways, a skeptic will usually say that um, one of those three requirements for knowledge is not being met. Justification truth or belief and usually they attack the justification aspect and they'll bring up some uh, a reason for why you can't be justified in believing what you do but anyways there's there's a if you like i said if you take a philosophy class you'll learn there's uh universal also known as global skeptics some people have argued that we can't have any knowledge whatsoever right uh and as far back as plato they they said that this is obviously wrong right if I were to tell you there is no such thing as knowledge, what would you say to me? <laughs> uh, you know, hopefully you'd say, "Well, how do you know that, right?" Because when I tell you there is no such thing as knowledge, it's a knowledge claim, right? I'm telling you that I know that there's no such thing as knowledge, so I'm I'm defeating my own statement. I'm saying something incoherent. So um, it, it's well known in in Western philosophy that you can't be a universal skeptic. It's just a self defeating belief, but. Um, Especially if you're doing apologetics, you'll run into local skeptics, uh, or also known as limited skeptics. And a limited skeptic is someone who who says that we can't have knowledge in a certain area, right? Um, now, I'm uh, uh, this is on a case by case basis. There's arguments for and against skepticism in all these different areas of learning. There's a lot of religious skeptics. There's uh, there's uh, there's there's uh, ethical skeptics, people that think that we can't have knowledge of, of ethical statements and, and claims. There's people that, yeah, like I said, there's religious skeptics, people that can't say that we can't know if there's something supernatural or not. Uh, that's all a case by case basis, and you usually have to just take it, um, you know, take it in stride and, and see what someone believes and, and see if you can argue for and against what they're talking about. Uh, I, I just wanted to mention sometimes you'll run into people. Just don't let people off when they say that, well, I just don't think we can know about this, okay? Like, so I've seen some people say, uh, the universe is so complex that we cannot know whether it began or or not, and if God exists, right? Just always remember to to, to listen to what they're saying and then and then ask yourself, okay, well, what if that were true, right? So, so like, for example, I, and I actually had a student tell me this when we were talking about whether God exists or not said, the universe is so complex, we cannot know whether God exists. We cannot know whether it began. Um, but what I would say to this person is, if the universe is so complex, then how do you know that we can't know if it began or not? If it's as complex as you say, then how is it that you have this knowledge of it? That uh, you know, I'm saying that we can know that the universe began, we can know that God exists, but you're saying it's so complex that so we can't know. But how can you know that we can't know if it's so complex, right? Uh, you, you just can't let people off on, on some of the things they're saying. I've also heard some people say, well, you know, we're just, the world is like a, you know, reality is like a cubicle. And, and, and I have all these ideas, um, but like I never get to go outside my cubicle and know how the world really is the way it is, right? Um, I had a student like this who, who thought, 
We are he, so he would say something like, "We are trapped inside our minds, so we cannot know what the world is like out there. All we can know for sure is how the world appears to us." Uh, that's basically what he said. Um, now, this rem- this reminds me of uh, if you're familiar with philosophy, the German philosopher Immanuel Kant had a view of knowledge called. Uh, well, my intro to a philosophy book um, calls it constructivism. Because Kant argued that we construct all of our knowledge. Uh, now, he actually didn't believe in subjective truth. A, a lot of things are, uh, he would argue, are objective. Uh, but his, but, but he, his philosophy entailed that we can't know, for example, like we can't have knowledge. We can't be certain that God exists or not. Because what he argues is that and you, and if you uh, are listening to this, I've got a slide that shows a woman looking at an apple, right? Now, what Kant said is that there's a phenomenal realm and there's the noumenal realm. The, the phenomenal realm is the world as it appears to us, right? We get sensory experience and it hits us in our eyeballs, hits us in the ears, and that sends signals to our brain. And then we have this uh, experience of the world. But he, uh, but Kant argues that's basically all in your head, you know. You're that's the phenomenal realm. It's the world as it appears to you, and then he argued, well, but then there's the noumenal realm, which is the world as it really is. And he and Kant argued that there's this unbridgeable gap between the noumenal realm and the phenomenal realm, and you can't know how the world, uh, you can't know the noumenal realm. You can't know how the world as it really is because all you see is the world as it appears to you. The only way for you to know, to be justified in, in saying that you have knowledge uh, of, the, of the world as it really is, would be to step outside of your mind and, and to, uh, to look at the noumenal realm and compare it with, to look at the way the world is as it is and compare it with the world as it appears to you. And only after comparing those two and seeing that they match up could you know that you're your knowledge of the world really is uh, justified. Now, obviously Kant was a very smart person, and a lot of people agree with his, uh, his ideas. And, and I, I just want you to know that you, know, you can't just brush aside some uh, giant of philosophy in just a few sentences. But just real quick, what I, what I would ask him, and, it, and it's a lot more in-depth than this. This is a basic course. But what I would ask someone who's, who says that is, I would say, well, how do you know there's a noumenal realm? You know, you're saying there's a phenomenal realm and there's a noumenal realm. How do you know that we don't know uh, the world as it really is? Do you, do you see what I'm saying? He's saying that there's this phenomenal realm and there's a noumenal realm. But what I would ask is, how do you know there's a noumenal realm if all you, if all you can know is the phenomenal realm? You know what I'm saying? So I just don't think that you can you can make statements like we can't know the world as it really is if you're saying that all we see is the world as it appears to us. I just don't. I'm skeptical that you know what I'm saying like it, it's it's similar to saying, well, I'm stuck in my cubicle and the way the world really is is the world outside my cubicle. But what I would ask is if you're stuck in your cubicle, how do you know there's a world outside your cubicle? Is what I'm saying. So uh, I, I personally don't think that. I think these uh, these. Uh, these theories that there's something else, there's some world out there that we don't have access to. I feel like they're just they're making claims that they they can't actually make. Uh, so it, it's not like it. 
it's not like it, um, it's completely false. It's just that it's, it's like, well, how do you know that the world is like that? Um, I've also heard people talk about simulation theory. They say, you know, it's, it's highly likely that some advanced civilization made a simulation and we're living in that simulation right now, you know, so, so they can, they, so, you know, whether God exists, you know, we can't know that just by looking at everything we see in the simulation. Um, I've always thought that was an interesting argument against theism or against Christianity. Um, one thing I'd like to ask that person is, well, let's say that it is a simulation and the, the people who made the simulation make it so that you go to heaven or hell at the end of the simulation. <laughs> so, uh, you know, what I would say is like, you just have to go with what you know, right? I see this world out here and the reality I see the, the called planet earth. And I see all the evidence for theism and the Jesus resurrection. And for all I know, even if it is a simulation, maybe based on whether I believe that's true or not, it's going to determine whether I go to heaven or hell. So I just don't see saying that this is all a simulation matters whatsoever. But anyways, I'll quit talking about skepticism. But yeah, this is our uh, our lecture on, on truth and knowing reality. Uh, main point I want you to take away is that denying the correspondence theory of truth, denying that uh, truth is objective is a self-defeating thing to do. Okay, so here's our reflection questions again. Do you think most people think truth is objective or subjective? Do you think people in our culture hold contradictory beliefs about truth? Do you think the correspondence theory of truth is obviously the best theory? Why or why not? And is a subjective view of truth livable? Okay. And here's our quote. I think this will be the last time we, we have this quote, and then we'll switch to a new one. Uh, it's from R.C. Sproul again, Defending Your Faith, page 8. Defending the faith to the best of our ability is not a luxury or an indulgence in intellectual vanity. It is the task given to each one of us as we bear witness to our faith before the world. And as always, don't forget uh, Southern Evangelical Seminary. That's ses.edu. Um, online degrees, both undergraduate and graduate degrees. Uh, great seminary education. Big emphasis on apologetics. You can get a you can get a master of divinity. You can get a philosophy degree. Uh, they've they've got it all. Uh, don't forget to check that out if you are getting more and more into apologetics. And also, don't forget about Kingdom Preparatory Academy. That's where I teach this apologetics course, pre-K through 12, Classical Christian School in Lubbock, Texas. But yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed this lecture, and I'll see you in the next one, hopefully. <music>